You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Well, this morning, I'm so excited to be able to preach. You know, the Bible says it's the foolishness of preaching that draws people to Jesus. And it is kind of silly uh, that someone gets up and just talks, and then, but, but the Spirit of God moves, and I want to be open to that. And I believe that today, God wants to use me to speak to you, whether you're online or whether you're here. And we are in the final descent of our journey through the book, through the gospel of Mark. Everybody say, woo! Right? We said that if we we were on a plane, the, uh, the landing gear is out, and now I've said, return to your seats, buckle up, because we're about to land this plane. Not today, but it's soon, soon, I promise. And, and it's been awesome, and it's been such a joy to preach through the gospel of Mark. And I just, as, I was, as we're coming to the end, I, I went back to some old notes, and I was, I was just remembering what was God doing? What was Mark doing through the book of, of, uh, of Mark, uh, through the gospel? And I was reminded this week that this was written 35 to 38 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, which we're going to talk about today. And in the book of Mark is filled with stories and eyewitness accounts, people that really saw this happen. And what I forgot almost was that it was written from Peter's perspective, but it was Mark that was writing the gospel. But it's really Peter's story. And the reason Mark wrote all this down, what was the overall purpose? It was to answer the question, who is Jesus? I want everyone to say this together. Who is Jesus? And today, we're going to look at the crucifixion of Jesus, which, by the way, was mentioned in all four Gospels, which is no surprise. But when you look at the crucifixion, and you remember what Jesus experienced, the pain, the humiliation beyond belief, degradation, Jesus was mocked, he went through illegal trials. Thorns were, were pushed upon his, his crown of his head and blood flowed. Nails through his arms or through his hands and through his, through his feet. A spear in his side. The abuse was so severe. He was spit on and insulted. 39 lashes on his back. His back was ripped open, and now he's tied to a tree, tied to a cross, and is that raw back on the cross. And today, we're going to look at this, when Jesus was on the cross. And it's interesting that in all four Gospels, it is very just matter-of-fact. And in our Gospel here, in Mark chapter 15, verse 24, it just simply says, and they crucified him. It doesn't go into any of the details of what that was like, but we know what crucifixion is by studying history, and it was not a great way to die. But today, Jesus is on the cross. The pain, the agony physically was only a portion of what he was feeling. The weight of our sin was taken 
on the cross as well. And that's what we're going to discuss today. Today our focus will be on Jesus on the cross. And there's a lot of different angles that we could take. And uh, there are so many. I mean, we could spend an entire month or two just talking about the cross. But what has Mark been trying to accomplish throughout the Gospel of Mark? He's, he's answering the question, who is being crucified? Who is Jesus. And with that, I want us to turn in your Bibles to Mark 15. We're going to start in verse 26 because we get a glimpse of who Jesus is in this verse. It says, the inscription, the charge that was against Jesus, that was put above him on the cross, said this, he is the king of the Jews. And certainly Jesus is the king of Jews. A few verses later in Mark chapter 15, verse 39, it says this, And the centurion, when the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that he had breathed his last breath, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. This verse arrested me this week, if I could say it that way. It caught my attention. I, I took a deep dive. And so the centurion, that's a Roman soldier. That's someone that was a commander over at least a hundred other men. And so he's a person of influence. He probably had, had witnessed hundreds, if not thousands of executions. And he sees how Jesus died. And he said, again, who was this man, truly he was the Son of God. What made this soldier make this proclamation? He probably watched Jesus' ministry to some extent from a distance. Perhaps he saw the trials that Jesus underwent over the night and where Jesus just stood there silent, and we learned about that last time. He could have been the soldier that nailed Jesus' hands or feet, or he could have been the soldier that pierced Jesus' side. We don't know. But what was it that the centurion says? Truly, this man was the Son of God. How did he know? Well, Mark, for 15 chapters, has been creating a case to defend who Jesus is. And what I want to do is on multiple ways this morning, I want to answer two questions. What did the centurion see and what do we know to be true in regards to what the centurion saw? And so there's kind of two looks here. We're going to look at several things. And the first thing that the centurion saw was darkness. Turn in the, Just stay there in Mark 15. That's where we are. And uh, the first thing he saw was darkness. And I love this because I, I'm thinking darkness. Uh, who likes it in the dark? Like who likes the dark? Anybody? Like uh, someone like turn off the lights. Come on. Uh, I, that, I prefer the dark. No. Like nobody, right? Uh, a few years ago, I was with, we were with some friends and we were vacationing and uh, kind of in the woods and so the guys decided late at night to go at, for a night hike. And instead of taking any flashlights or headlamps or our phones or anything, we just decided to go out into the woods. And, and I was like, okay, I'm in because I'm, you know, I'm always you know, up for a good adventure. But I was like, I don't want to be first. I don't want 
branches hitting me in the face and, and things like that. I'm like, turn on the lights, right? And if we had lost all the lights here, uh, we would, there's a little light that comes through this door. There's light coming from outside. And really, if all the lights stopped, what would we do? We'd grab our phones and turn on the light. The reason, because we don't like the darkness. But the darkness that it was experienced in this story when Jesus is on the cross is like no other darkness. Look what it, it says, Mark 15, 25. It says, and it was the third hour when they crucified him. That was nine o'clock in the morning. So Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m., and from 9 till noon, there were a lot of things that happened. There were a lot of things Jesus said. We see that in some of the other Gospels. But then at noon, the sun stopped shining. Look at it. Mark 15, It says, when the sixth hour came, that's at noon. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. For three hours, there was a supernatural darkness over the entire world. In fact, you say, well, did that really happen? Well, there are other historians that mark that event. You can read about it, in, not just in the Bible, but in other history as well. Luke chapter 23, verses 45 says, The sun's light failed. In other, word, in other words, the sun stopped shining. And it was not just a dust storm that caused people not to be able to see or a solar eclipse that would have lasted only for a few moments. No, the, the centurion saw a darkness that the world had never seen before. Now, what does that mean? What do we know to be true about that? Well, when darkness came and Jesus is on the cross, was it to cover his nakedness? And what's interesting is every picture we see of Jesus on the cross, we see him clothed to some extent, right? But the truth is most commentators believe and most people that were crucified were crucified naked. So maybe that's why there was darkness. But, but I think it's even deeper than that because in Scripture, throughout God's Word, darkness is a sign of judgment. And darkness, whether it's in hell and there's divine judgment uh, in, in a place like hell or in the tribulation, there will be darkness again, uh, similar to what is experienced in this story. And, and again, that's a period of judgment. What we're saying here is that Jesus was experiencing the judgment of our sin upon his back. Now, did the centurion understand that? No, but we can discern that. What else did the centurion see? What do we know to be true? Not only was there darkness, but there's something else in the story. The centurion sees a separation. And now, let me just say, theologically, what I'm about to say is we can't understand this fully. And I, I cannot explain this perfectly because we believe that Jesus is God, right? He's fully God. He's fully man. And Jesus, uh, you know, how could God turn his face on himself? You know, that's, it's hard to, to understand completely. But what, as we can, what we do discern is that the darkness this, or the separation uh, it comes because God's wrath has been placed on Jesus' back, being punished with what some commentator uh, that I read this week said, a billions of hells. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so after three hours of darkness, Jesus cries out, God, 
Where did you go? We see it in Mark 15, 34. It says, in the ninth hour, that's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, I don't understand this fully. Certainly, the centurion would not have understood this fully. But there was a separation. What do we know to be true about this? It's actually, when I started to study this, we can go back to the Old Testament. Psalm 22, we won't take the time to read it, but you can write it down and read it later today. It's worth the, worth the read. Psalm 22 explains the crucifixion, which kind of was mind-blowing to me. I didn't know that before this week. And what we see as it explains the crucifixion, then it explains that God is holy. And that's important for sure. And so what we see here is a separation that God turns his back for a moment because Jesus is bearing the weight of the sin of the world. Jesus has sinned. God cannot have sinned because he's holy. And so there was a separation. Jesus did what we could never do. He bore our sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love this verse. The truth of this verse means that even though I deserve punishment, even though I deserve death and destruction, Jesus took all of that pain, all of that punishment for me. There was a separation. There was darkness. What else did the centurion see? And what else can we determine from that? There was darkness. There was separation. There was a third thing. And it's the centurion saw strength. He saw strength. In Mark 15, verse 37, it says this, and Jesus uttered a loud cry. Now, what you might know about crucifixion, if you've ever watched The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson, I was talking with someone about that between service, um, crucifixion is really not a death by nails in your hands or in your feet. Crucifixion is death by asphyxiation. You lose your breath and you lose your strength. And after six hours of Jesus being on the cross, Jesus does not mumble he does not whisper. He was strong. He was strong. You say, well, what does he say? In John chapter 19, verse 30, it says that he yells out, it is finished, with a loud cry. Again, Jesus doesn't just fade away. His death was controlled to the very last breath. In Luke chapter 23, verse 46, again, one of his final words, he yelled this out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You say, well, how did Jesus have energy? I don't know. Was it adrenaline? How many have ever had like an adrenaline boost where, you know, it, during a stressful situation, all of a sudden there's a super strength? I've experienced that to some extent. I don't think that's what this was. I believe it was a supernatural strength that Jesus exhibited on the cross. And he yelled out. And the soldier took note of it. He saw it. 
and we can understand. You say, what can we know to be true? What we can know to be true is that no one killed Jesus. He offered up his own life. You say, how can we say that? Well, in verse 44, Pilate sent soldiers to break the legs of all three of the soldiers, or of the, of the people on the cross, including Jesus. But when they got to Jesus, he had already given up his last breath. He was dead on the cross where the other two were living, and they had to break their legs because they wanted to, them to die and get them off the cross before the Passover. But Jesus was already dead. But he had great strength right till the end. What else did the centurion see? And what else do we know to be true? Not only was there darkness, the separation was there strength, but we also see, and what the centurion would have seen, was access. Access. Look at it. Mark 15, verse 38. I love this. It says, The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, how many of you have curtains in your house, right? You put curtains up, and uh, now the curtains in your house might be like ours. If you get real close, you know, you can kind of see through it. Light certainly comes through, even though they're curtains. Um, but the idea is to, you know, hide your nakedness, I guess, right? So you can run around however you want. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, but in our house, like ours are pretty see-through when you get close. And, and, uh, but this is not the type of curtain that was in the temple. When you study this, it was over 38 feet high. Now, this building is 23 feet high, if I remember right, or 26 feet high, something like that. So even higher than this, over 24 feet wide, and they would say that it was as thick as a person's hand. That's how thick this material was. It would take 100 priests to move the curtain. And so we're talking a piece of material that I've never seen, that, that, that maybe you've never seen, it was, and it separated the rest of the temple from the holy place. In other words, it was God himself resting or living behind the curtain. And once a year, on the Day of Atonement, one of the priests, after a series of sacrifices, would go into the Holy of Holies, and they, even under those circumstances, after all the sacrifice, they would tie a rope on the priest, uh, on their, the leg of the priest, that as the priest would go into the Holy of Holies, that if he was in the presence of God, and if he died in the presence of God, that they could pull him out, because no one would go into the Holy of Holies otherwise. It was crazy. But the point is, the centurion may not have directly seen the temple curtain split, but how many of you know that within that moment of time or within those hours on the cross, he would have heard about this occasion within minutes or within an hour for sure because word travels fast. And it would have been on everyone's mind that the temple curtain had split. Now, what do we know about this? Well, we know that when the veil was torn, now there's no separation and we have access to God. Each of us do. It was finished. 
The veil was torn, and we have access. And now we can experience Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, that says, Let us with confidence draw near to the throne. Excuse me, to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. That means we get what we don't deserve, right? And find grace to help in our time of need. What an incredible verse. And it happened because of what happened on the cross. It was possible because Jesus was nailed to the cross. And now there's no further need for sacrifice. Instead, we find mercy. We do not get what we deserve. And more than that, we get access to the throne of God. Wow. There's one more thing that the centurion saw in this story. And it's not recorded in Mark's gospel, but it's worth mentioning. So, so far we've seen darkness and then separation, strength, access. And what else did he see? He saw resurrection. You say, wait, it's not Easter yet, right? And we'll get there, don't worry, we're two weeks away. But no, he saw resurrection. In Matthew chapter 27, if you flip in your Bibles there or on your phones or, or you can look on the screens, look what it says. It says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's like what we just read in Mark. It says, and the earth shook and the rocks were split and look what 52 says. The tombs were also opened, and many of the saints, many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. We don't know how many, but there were Old Testament prophets and saints that now were walking. And they were now alive, had been resurrected. And look at what it says in verse 54 on the next page. It says, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, they saw the earthquake and they saw what took place. They were filled with awe. And let's say it together. What did they say? Truly, this is, or this was, the Son of God. Now, how many of you have ever felt an earthquake? How many of you. Okay, so some of us have. I felt earthquake just really minor, like, what was that? You know, and, and then you find out later that was an earthquake, and that's happened. Uh, most recently, I had a little incident um, that kind of scared me. It was on a Friday morning. I was walking into the church. It was about 8.04 or 8.05, and all of a sudden, I heard something that I thought was crashing into the church here, and this church echoes, uh, as you can imagine, and I thought something, I thought a UFO hit us or something, I don't know, I mean, it was crazy, and I realized later that it's when the power plant was uh, uh, imploded, and there was actually one big crash, and then another one right after that, how many heard that? Yeah, I did too, and it scared me, I was here all by myself, I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, Lord, Please take me. I'm like, Lord, if this is the rapture and I missed it, oh, man. I mean, that would be the worst, right? I mean, but I would be a big witness in the, in the tribulation, I just, just so you know. But anyway, but as, as traumatizing as that was, graves opening in Old Testament saints walking around, the walking dead. I mean, I mean this is amazing. And the centurion saw not only darkness, he heard the separation, he saw the strength of Jesus, he understood, the, or he did, probably didn't understand, but he understood that the temple uh, curtain was ripped from top to bottom, and he sees dead people walking. 
Amazing. And what do we know to be true about the cross, right? I love this, that our debt has been paid, our sin is covered, and because of that, church, we will live again. We will live again. We have new life, not only here on this side of eternity, but we look forward to the power of the resurrection, that we will live forever with Jesus in heaven. He took our place. He loves us so much. He gave us access. And because of that, we have no fear of death. And that's why the centurion, and that's why we can say what Mark 15, 39 says, surely he is the son of God. There's no question. We've been studying the book of Mark for months now, over a year, a year and a a, a couple months. And what was the main thesis of Mark? He was answering the question, we said it earlier, who is Jesus? And it starts with the very first chapter and the very first sentence of Mark. Look what it says. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And now for 15 chapters, we see the baptism of Jesus, we see a lot of healing, we see miracles, all pointing to who Jesus is. And in Mark 15, verse 39, what we're seeing, when the centurion, again, just get this, who stood there and faced him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this is the Son of Man. Mark captures this intently. He wants us to know this to be true. But there's another New Testament writer that also understood the depth of what's happening with Jesus on the cross. And that's the Apostle Paul. He understood the implications of the cross. And there's a few verses that I want to take us through. And I'm going to ask the worship team to join me uh, to prepare. The, the first verse is Romans chapter 1, verse 16. When we talk about the gospel, that is the the story of Jesus Christ being crucified, dead, buried, risen again. You can wrap it up into that. And what does he say to the Roman church, to the church in Romans? He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the story of Jesus being crucified, buried, and then rising from the grave. For it is the power of God, and that's what we're going to see here in in these next few verses. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles or to the Greeks. It's the power of God. The story of Jesus on the cross, that's where the power comes from. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is To those who are perishing, it's folly to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, the cross is the power of God. Again, what is the cross? It's where the power comes from. And then just a few verses later, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. And I really like that because sometimes I mess up my words and I'm thinking, man, the super apostle Paul, if he 
got caught up in his words sometimes too. It makes me feel better. But he says, but I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, he says, this is all that I care about is Jesus and him crucified. And then he goes on, he says, and I was with you in the weakness, in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and with power. The gospel, the, the story of Jesus on the cross, that's where the power comes from. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men. He says, don't look at me. He says, look to the cross because that's where the power of God lies. Paul says, this is all I care about. This is it. This is why I give my life. That's why the first disciples gave their lives. Many of them were martyred. Some of them crucified. Some of them crucified upside down because they saw Jesus nailed to the cross. And they saw what the centurion saw. And they see what we read. There was darkness. There was a separation. But there was supernatural strength. There was access created. And even a resurrection. There were dead people now walking around. And the point is, Paul is saying, never forget the cross. And if there was a one point, I would say today, don't forget the cross. And don't forget the love that Jesus had for us. I'm going to ask that you stand. And, and I want us to recite the greatest verse in all of the Bible. It's a verse that you have memorized most likely. If you haven't memorized it, you've seen it at football games, in stadiums, all over the world. And the reason is because of the power of the message of this verse. And I want us to read it in the same version, to read it with power and authority, and I promise not to mess it up. I said, let's read it all the same, and then I went into King James or NIV. This is in the ESV, but it's simply John 3.16. And when we get to the final uh, word of this, of this uh, verse, we're going to sing about the love of Jesus, the reckless love that Jesus has for us. And I'm just believing that it's going to make a difference this morning in our hearts, in our lives. And so would we just say this together? John 3.16. Say it with me. And I'm going to read it, okay? So here we go. You read it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting, eternal life. Sorry. Amen. Amen. And it's with that, that verse that we put our hope the reckless love of God. That song captures the truth of what Jesus did on the cross. To some, it seemed like foolishness. Was it reckless? Absolutely not. I mean, he, he had you on his mind. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, today is the day of salvation. There's no reason to walk out of these doors without making your, giving your heart to Jesus. 
I don't know everyone that's here. Certainly, you, it's possible that you have served the Lord in the past, and maybe you feel distant. You feel separated. But the great thing about repentance, it's a 180-degree turn. And the moment you turn, Jesus is right there. He's right there, and he's waiting for you. With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you are in need of a relationship with Jesus Christ, the man who died for you on the cross, would you just lift up your hand? I want to pray with you. I want to lead you in a prayer. Who in second service here? Online, you're saying, yes, that's me. Hang with me. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Saying yes to Jesus. Maybe I was walking before and I'm need to come back, need to get my life right with Jesus today. Or the fact that, man, I don't know if I were to die today, if I were to make it to heaven, you can know without any, without any doubt, anyone at all, just slip up your hand. I want to just give you the opportunity. For those that are online and maybe those that didn't raise your hand or I didn't see, I'm just going to lead us in a simple prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. Jesus, I'm asking that you would save me. Take away my sins. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the grave. And today I put my faith in you. Or for some, Lord, I put, I, I, I believe in you again. I'm coming back, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me, Lord, from all unrighteousness. Do a great and mighty work in me. In Jesus' name. one last thought. When I've been studying the book of Mark, and when we get to the end here, and we're looking at Jesus on the cross, there's something that caught my attention. And it was really commentators that really brought it to my attention. But right in the middle of the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 8, there's something that Jesus says that the disciples, when he said it, didn't understand the full context. Just like the centurion didn't understand everything he was seeing, and we have a greater picture today on this side of Scripture and the entire uh, book of the Bible, all the Bible put together. But look what it says. This is Jesus. It says, In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Mark 8, 34 and 35, Jesus said to them, these, this is in red letters, okay? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. Church, if anyone wishes to come after Jesus, you have to pick up your cross and carry it. If you're on the Lord's side, there is a cross to bear. Now, it's not a cross of punishment, but it's a cross of purpose and of mission. And so this is how I want to end today. We are two weeks out from Easter 2021. And we just heard the story of Jesus on the cross. 
And if there was ever a message that should motivate us to share the good news, it's this message. Looking forward to Easter. And again, we've got to bear our own cross. But again, it's not a cross of punishment. It's a cross of mission and purpose. And why do we exist as a church? We, we often say we exist to reach one more on the lakeshore. And so this is what I want you to do. I want you to maybe spread out, depending on what row you're in. I want you just to make yourself into a cross. I want you just to imagine yourself as a cross. And I want you, as we close in prayer, I want you to see yourself this week before Easter inviting your friends that don't know Jesus, your neighbors, bear your cross, share your story. Let the truth of God's great love ooze out of you. You are Christ's ambassador. And Jesus, today I pray for each and every person in the sound of my voice, those at home that are making a cross symbol wherever they are. Lord, I pray that you would use us, God, for your glory, for your honor. Lord, I pray that we are on the on the cusp of the greatest Easter we've ever experienced at the Gateway Church. And Jesus, I pray that as you look up and down the lakeshore here in West Michigan, looking for people to use to advance your kingdom, I pray that you choose us and revival would come. Lord, choose me to advance your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. And Lord, as we leave now, I pray that you would go before us, behind us, and all around us. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen and amen. To God be the glory. We love you. God bless you. Thank you for being here. And we'll greet you out in the lobby. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.